Welcome everyone to Inside the State House. This is the fourth time we've done this, uh, the Zoom version instead of the blog version. Thank you for being here. We have our whole team here today, which is exciting. Um, last week we had some great discussion. So if you have questions along the way, you can type them in the group chat or unmute yourself and ask them. Um, we'd love to be able to answer those as we go along. Uh, and we'll get started. So first up, Jessica, our fearless leader, was in Washington, D.C. this week. Uh, Jessica, tell us about why you were there and what you learned and what you did and who you met. All right. So I was there with the National Skills Coalition. Uh, we have been a part of the National Skills Coalition since 2010. And I have been very privileged to sit on their board of directors since 2017. Um, and every year in February, they have what they call the Skills Summit, and we, um, everyone comes from around the country, and we hear from um, federal agency folks and advocates and um, sort of like people from the National Governors Association and the National Association of Cities and the National Association of Mayors and all of these different groups about what their priorities are for good workforce policy. Um, we go through and learn about um, things that have been happening with the National Skills Coalition's agenda. They have an agenda called um, the Skills for Good Jobs agenda. And then um, after a couple days of having these great conversations and learning about all this good stuff, then on the last day of the conference, we go up to the hill and we um, talk to lawmakers. So we got to meet, we went to the Hoosier Huddle, which if for those of you who don't know, uh, our senators do, every Wednesday they do a Hoosier huddle and you can meet with both senators and their staff. Um, so we um, got to have good conversations with staff, but also got to have good conversations with both Braun and Young. Um, we specifically asked them to co-sponsor specific pieces of legislation that's on the Skills for Good Jobs agenda. It's, we can go into that more in detail if people have specific questions, but um, and then we met with staff for uh, representatives were Lorsky and Banks. Uh, both of those um, lawmakers had already signed on to a federal act called the College Transparency Act that we support. So we were thankful we got that they had the opportunity to thank them. We also had the opportunity to thank Senator Young for um, for uh, signing on to the Gateway to Careers Act, which helps with grants to community colleges to pay for supportive services. And as you've heard us talk before, there's never enough money for supportive services. So it was it was really successful. It was a good time. And it was warm for two of the three days. So that was nice. Back to Indiana State House issues. Um, a couple things we need updated on. Let's start with what's going on with TANF. Okay, so unfortunately, SB 111 is dead. Um, it, you know, failed to get the committee hearing that it needed by the committee report deadline. So it is, um, you know, not something that can move forward this session. Um, we heard a lot of different concerns raised around needing to understand more about how TANF money is spent and how much money there is and who gets it. So I think that that kind of gives us a charge for the interim 
to sit down with lawmakers and have those more in-depth conversations because TANF is really complicated and there's a lot of money and we spend it in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And actually very little of the money we get each year goes to cash assistance for TANF participants. Um, so, uh, so we're going to, you know, work on, we're going to make a real concerted effort to get in front of as many lawmakers during the interim in their home districts to sit down and have those longer in-depth conversations about the TANF spending um, as we can. So um, that's where TANF is for right now. But I think, you know, uh, Senator Ford from Terre Haute has been a huge champion of the bill and he remains committed to it. He said that he is ready to fight even harder next year in the budget session. So I think that, I think that we're, it's disappointing for the bill to fail this year, but I think we are still in good shape for it moving forward. So I'm not, I have not lost all hope. Great. Well, we will um, keep updating everyone on TANF and what happens throughout the year. And um, are there any other bills that we're watching that have to do with TANF or benefits? There's a benefit component to HB 1009. HB 1009 is a bill from Representative Goodrich that would allow families to keep their benefits even when a student in their household is um, uh, taking advantage of a work-based learning program. The, that bill has the biggest impact on the TANF participants because that is the group that we have the most control over. We can make that change with this bill. Um, it also makes that change for SNAP and, TAN or SNAP and Medicaid, but we will have to ask for a federal waiver for those changes to go through in SNAP and Medicaid. So the bill has the most impact on TANF participants, so we're excited about that. The bill was amended on second reading to include apprenticeships in the realm of work-based learning things that could happen. Um, and then it also included um, disregarding the wages of temporary census workers for SNAP and TANF. Um, and Medicaid too, probably, but I can't recall off the top of my head if Medicaid was actually specifically listed. Um, so that's all, that's all good. And that bill uh, passed thirds and moves on to, um, to the Senate. So we're still watching that. Great. And then tell me more about land contracts. 1191? Is that 1191. So yep. we are working with Representative Clear this year and our colleagues at Prosperity Indiana and the Fair Housing Center of Indianapolis on um, a land contract bill. Um, this is similar to a bill that's been put forward in the past. It is a more streamlined version. This year's bill calls for uh, land contracts to be recorded at the county recorder's office. And then it also requires a list of disclosures that, that sellers must put into the contract so that buyers um, know what they're getting into. So it requires the APR to be disclosed. It requires known defects of the home to be disclosed, similar to what you would get if you were uh, purchasing a home. Um, and then uh, it uh, requires disclosure if there are any liens on the home, because that's something that we've seen happen to people. They have been paying into a land contract. They now own the home and they had no idea that there were liens against the home. So um, all of those things would have to be disclosed. Uh, right now, the bill does also include a three day right to count cancel cancel for the buyer. Um, but that is causing a little bit of consternation with lawmakers. They have some concerns about someone taking ownership of a home and then in three days canceling. And then how do you 
get that person to leave the home if they've already moved in. Um, so that is the place where I would imagine you'll see us make some compromises um, on the bill, but we don't know what those look like quite yet. So that's, so, so we, um, it has passed the house. We're meeting with senators. We've already got a uh, meeting scheduled and we're going to try to work out with all the various um, interest groups um, and senators, the compromise to that three day cancellation part. That's, and just quickly, because I didn't know what land contracts were until last year when I worked on this, can you tell us why those are important to our constituency? Sure. So similar to rent to own contracts, land contracts, um, when, fam when people enter into land contracts and it's kind of this no man's land between a home purchase and a rental. So it, um, you know, people sign an agreement that says that they're going to, you know, pay a certain amount. Sometimes it includes balloon payments. Sometimes it doesn't. But they, they are sort of neither renters nor buyers. And so what has happened to to constituents is that they've entered into these contracts. The homes maybe have not been habitable or they haven't been up to code. They've invested their own. Um, equity and uh, sweat equity and, and work and time into the home to bring it up to standards. And then if something happens and they, um, and they lose the, uh, they can't pay the rent, they can be evicted without like recoup, without necessarily recouping the equity that they got in, that they put into what they, um, into the home. So it's, it's kind of this weird gray area. And I think, you know, we're, we'll need to keep working on it. Last year's bill included appraisals. It included a mechanism for recapturing some of that equity. Those were big sticking points in the legislature last year. So we've excluded them this year. We'll keep working on them moving forward in the future. But um, it it's just one of those weird consumer protection parts of housing that like, we need to figure out are they renters or are they buyers and who's responsible for maintaining the home and who's responsible for paying taxes and then if they're not if they're not renters then they should get equity in the home but those are we'll keep working on that moving forward okay thank you uh welcome to our senior policy analyst aaron um aaron um let's start with senate bill 342 um, right. talk about the amendment and that bill and what's going on. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start by saying this was, this was a rough week. Uh, not going to lie. Senate bill 342 would have provided a clear affirmative right to reasonable accommodations in the workplace for pregnant workers. And I feel like it's really important to say, given the current status of the bill, that women may have a right to accommodations in the workplace under disability law and under sex discrimination law at businesses as small as six. So I don't want people to get the impression that women, um, because this bill didn't pass, there's absolutely no protection uh, for women who are pregnant in the workplace. Um, it's just that the law is really unclear. And that's why we've been able to build such a strong and diverse coalition that includes businesses and business groups. Because when there's lack of clarity in the law, there tends to be a lot of litigation. So um, this issue has brought a lot of different people to the table. But in spite of that, um, and the fact that 27, now potentially 28, because New Mexico just passed their bill unanimously out of the house yesterday. Um, despite all of that support and momentum, 
the bill was gutted uh, on Monday and turned into an interim study committee. So instead of all the protections in the bill, the bill now just contains language saying, let's maybe look at this issue over the summer. Um, so that's where we're at. We will watch where it's assigned in the House. Um, it may be possible to put some pressure on House members to restore the bill to its original form. And we are also closely watching the federal legislation, which the US Chamber of Commerce now supports, um, and potentially thinking about how to leverage this big, awesome coalition and all this energy and interest in getting our federal delegation to support the federal law. Yeah. I know this was a really tough week. Ooh. Last week was tough and the testimony on it was frustrating and it was just kind of a hard week. So um, we will let everyone know what's going on. And um, we talked last week about how hard you've been working on this. So I just want to say again, I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about Senate Bill 395. Okay, so 395, um, we wrote a blog about this earlier in the year when it first came out. So as you may recall, this is a consumer credit bill and we've been calling for 36% on payday loans and this bill was like, well, we don't wanna give you that. How about we increase rates and fees on all other types of loans? So uh, we were not exactly thrilled uh, by the introduction of 395. The good news is they did take the rate increase out. So before we were going to take our 25% flat rate on larger loans, like subprime car loans, move that up to 36% cap. That would be a $5,000 difference on something like a $15,000 car loan. That's a huge uh, increase. That part of the bill was taken out and, and the rate caps that we currently have were restored. However, the trade-off was we've now added in some really hefty upfront fees that those lenders can charge. And it's not just lenders who make consumer loans, but also people who do consumer credit sales. So things like where you're working with a seller directly, like you would at an auto dealership or furniture store to purchase something on credit. So both of those entities have been given up to $250 that they can charge you upfront in addition to the interest rates that they're allowed to charge. So we're continuing to educate house members on that and coalition members so that they can let lawmakers know that they don't love increasing fees for credit. So does this make the bill better or worse? What, what are we doing with the bill as the Institute? So um, I guess, you know, it was worse when it first came out. Uh, so we, we've succeeded in making it better, but the upfront fees are again, uh, moving our, our code, our, our laws in the direction of lenders. So giving them more tools to charge borrowers more money without, without any potential benefit to consumers. I mean, if you, if you look at subprime credit, buy here, pay here, car lots, like they're, they're offering loans to people with no credit. We don't have any evidence to suggest that these increased fees are gonna result in anything better for consumers. Mainly what we suspect will happen is it will result in you know, more money going to lenders and to their shareholders. Okay, more, more good news from the Institute. Um, okay, let's go on to our intern, Pamela, who has been wonderful the first half of this session. Pamela, tell us a little bit about um, 
what you watched this week, what bills we haven't talked about that might be dead or moving on, update us. Um, so I said on uh, second as they're reading uh, bills that didn't make it out where the, um, the one of broadband, Orca, um, that one died, but the other one expanding the REMCs, uh, having access to broadband was passed, uh, is waiting to be assigned to a committee. Um, I just sat on second and third readings and heard a lot about different discussions about a lot of things. Um, kind of hard to remember what everything was about. <laughs> um, what else? Um, you know, there was uh, TANEP SB 111, which died before even starting. And we also sat through committee uh, for Senator Walker's bill of online lending. Um, that one didn't make it out of committee. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I just saw some bills die and uh, all the ones passed. I updated our list and it was used to be six pages long. Now we're down to two pages <laughs> of bills that actually passed. Uh, the only bill that has particularly just passed uh, and signed by the governor was 1007. Um, yeah, that one was super fast. And yeah, that's all I did. <laughs> Is there anything about the first half of session that surprised you or that you really enjoyed um, being a part of? Um, so it was kind of hard trying to catch up with everything and what was going on. And I feel like right now sitting down and having more of an understanding of how it's going to actually uh, proceed, I will, and I'm, I catched up with everything else that was going on. Um, I have a more control over what's going on and what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> so I appreciate these four days of no committees and no session. <laughs> It's really nice to have that break. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you've been doing it for years and years. Um, so before we go on to end on a good note and tell you all what fun things we've been doing this week, um, I wanted to open it up to any questions um, and you can unmute yourself or type it in the group chat. Um, and we are happy to answer and make sure you are up to date with things we've been talking about or things that we may not have mentioned here, but you are curious about. I will leave the, the chat is open and you can unmute, but while you are thinking or typing, I'm gonna ask everyone about the fun things they did this week. So let's start with Jessica. All right, so um, my fun thing is that I have been going, as I said, to the Skills Summit for a long time. Um, I think this is my ninth or 10th trip to the Skills Summit, and um, we've had a delegation of folks that are really involved in workforce development that have been going every year, even before I started going. So there's some folks in our delegation who've been 15, 16 times to the Skills Summit, and they started a tradition of going to a restaurant in Chinatown called Tony Chang's. Um, and we go there every single year, which some people think is silly, but we think it's a fun tradition and we have like certain things that we get there and we have a great time and it's this 
really cute restaurant and you go up to the second floor and there's all these celebrity pictures all around the people who've taken their picture celebrities taking their picture with tony and signing the pictures so it's kind of a fun atmosphere and so we did our annual trip to tony chang's and a trip to dc would not be the same without it so it was a good time and uh institute um veteran andrew bradley who now works in dc was there and came to tony chang's with us so that was fun that is wonderful. I love hearing about that tradition every year. Erin, uh, fun things you did this week. I am going to say I am really excited that we have finalized and solidified like a, we're going to have a fellow, I guess we're calling it, a fellowship with um, one of the grassroots maternal child health leaders um, through the Fairbanks School of Public Health. And that's a program where uh, women leaders are being supported and mentored in communities with the highest infant mortality rates to work on policy change for their communities. So we're going to be working with one of those fellow, one of those leaders um, to do some policy work in the state house. That is wonderful. I'm excited. Uh, so this week I have been reading a book called The Starless Sea. And it is by one of my favorite authors, Erin Morgenstern, and it's beautifully written, and I've really, really been enjoying reading that. So that is my fun thing. Pamela, fun thing this week. Uh, well, after hearing, um, sitting on the third reading for the house, I learned to stress eat. Um, so I went downstairs to get me some popcorn, and because it was after two, the lady didn't want to restart new fresh popcorn, so she just had a bag there. Um, I tried making her sell it for $1, but she wanted full price for it. Um, so I paid $2 for a stale popcorn. Uh, <laughs> and I also got some candy. I also decided to start watching Parks and Rec because it seemed appropriate, so. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and the best part is while Pamela and I were having lunch together, she was watching Parks and Rec and I was watching the halftime show. And so I was dancing in my seat and Pamela was laughing out loud at Parks and Rec. <laughs> so um, that is really fun. So everyone, um, let me say before we go that we are going to be putting these recordings up as a podcast this week. Um, we have been recording these video and audio, and we're going to put the audio up as a podcast. So there will be a different way to get information and for us to share information. We're trying to make sure that we have the widest reach and can reach people who might not want to read a blog, but might listen to a podcast on their drive. So be looking for that and sharing that as that comes out. And I don't have any questions. So we will just sign off and say everyone have a really great week and we will be back with the second half of session starting on Monday morning. Thanks everyone. Thanks, everyone.